0: So let 2024 be your best year yet. Visit Soberlink.com forward slash TAM to sign up and receive $50 off your device. That's Soberlink.com forward slash TAM and let accountability be your guide. Hello everyone, welcome to the Addicted Mind podcast. This is episode 25. And today our guest is Tracy Szymanski. Now I'm very excited to have Tracy on the show because I got to hear Tracy about two years ago, I got to hear Tracy speak at a conference about psychological assessment. And since then I've always found it really fascinating how psychological assessment can help clients really zero in and get the help that they need. And her presentation was just really amazing. So I asked her to come on to the podcast and she agreed. So I was super excited about that. So I hope you guys enjoy this episode. I think it's a wealth of information about how this can help a client or help you if you're stuck in your recovery or stuck in your, in your healing journey. So I really hope you enjoy it. Once again, if you want to support the Addicted Mind podcast, please rate and review us in iTunes or Stitcher. That really does help get us noticed and really builds the credibility of this podcast. So if you're enjoying it, I'd really appreciate that favor a lot. Thank you so much for all the people that have done it so far. So let's start this episode. Hello everyone, welcome to the Addicted Mind podcast. I have a wonderful guest today. Her name is Tracy Zamansky, and she is going to talk about psychological assessment and what that means and, and how people can use that in their healing journey. Tracy, thank you for coming on. Do you wanna introduce yourself?
1: Sure, and thank you very much, Dwayne, for having me. It's an honor to be able to talk about something that I'm very passionate about and find fascinating with other people.
0: That's awesome. I don't know if you remember a little while ago, you did a presentation at the ITAP conference and I attended that and listened to you speak about in detail about psychological assessment and how that can help clients and I was fascinated by it, and I am so glad that you decided to come on and and I reached out to you and said, "Hey, will you come on the podcast and you agreed and I was so excited because I also am really fascinated by this topic and i and I love it, and so I'm excited to have this conversation with you about it. So why don't we just start off with with the first part when people hear psychological assessment i think they think about a lot of different things so can you kind of define it a little bit like what what is psychological assessment when we're looking at it
1: sure so it's typically not what people see on tv and in the movies right and it's rarely somebody doing something to someone else it is a way of evaluating an individual looking at whether a particular part of their personality or a particular skill or a particular area of their emotional life or particular kinds of behaviors and trying to understand it more. And we use psychological tests, interviews, questionnaires, behavioral observations, and sometimes what we call collateral interviews with people who know the person well to get as much information as we can about whatever the specific things we're looking for are, and to try to get underneath and tease out all the different elements that might pertain to, let's say, a person's depression or a person's compulsive addictive behaviors.
0: Okay, so is it like, um, what I hear you saying, is kind of like a really detailed look using all of these tools to really get a, a detailed picture uh, of somebody. is that Would that be accurate?
1: Exactly. I think of it as being a detective into someone's personality.
0: Okay, that's a good way of looking at it.
1: And so what we use, especially when I'm working in a collaborative way, which means working as a team with the client and if the client has a therapist with their therapist, looking together and being curious together about certain concerns, sometimes problems, sometimes personality traits that may be getting in the way of getting what they want, or maybe they're not sure of what's getting in the way of their getting their goals. And so together, we can use these as tools to find out the answers to those questions.
0: And kind of help them find their way. So, like when I'm working with a client, and we've worked together before. So it's like working with a client, and sometimes I'll have a client that I'm working with, and they it's kind of like we're stuck. We're not, they're not being able to maybe get long-term sobriety, or they're not able to form the relationships they want. And a lot of times that's where I've come to you to be able to kind of help with that and get more detail. Right. If that makes sense.
1: No, that makes total sense because when people are stuck, it's usually because there's some information that they don't have. It's not for lack of trying or wanting to get that information, but often said, it's hard to understand the mind with the mind. So it's hard to see ourselves with our own eyes. And psychological testing actually helps us do that because we're able to get a different kind of a view like looking in a three-way mirror, oh, I have a new angle that I wouldn't have been able to see before. Or looking in a microscope where you see something super close up, it looks very different than it does with your regular eye.
0: Right. So even so for me as a therapist working with a client, there might not be there might be a piece of information that I'm missing that kind of keeps us both stuck. Yes. And then doing this kind of detailed psychological assessment may bring that to the surface so it can be dealt with. Is that kind of what you're saying?
1: Yes. Usually that's the case because particularly when clients are very motivated, so they want to get the answers, they're very upfront and involved with the testing and very honest. And it's very unusual In fact, I can't think of a time when I have not been able to get good answers. It may not be 100%, but good answers that are very practical and useful to that person and their therapist in this case in making whatever changes or understanding whatever it is they need to understand so that they can then make the kind of changes they want to make so that their life is the way they'd like it to be.
0: Right. So getting that piece of information can be that key to like going, oh, now I now I see it or now I can make that change because I understand it. And before absolutely. I, cu- I couldn't see it because I was in it. I don't know if that makes sense. That's
1: matter. absolutely the truth.
0: Right, right. Okay. So, I mean, that definitely shows why, it's, why this can be so helpful. So for a lot of people, what does this look like? Like someone comes into your office and... When they're doing it, you know, they do go into therapy, right? They do talk therapy or cognitive behavioral therapy, and they talk with a therapist. How is psychological assessment maybe a little different?
1: So when I'm doing assessment with a person, usually the first piece of the assessment is coming up with the assessment questions. It's really important because we're going to choose the tests that we want to use with this person based on the questions they have. So if somebody has questions about, let's say they have difficulty forming intimate relationships, they always seem to choose the people who are unavailable, or they always choose people who are demeaning and devalue them, and they don't really understand why, the test that I might choose to use to look at that question would be very different than the tests I would choose to use if we're looking at somebody who says, wow, I just cannot get sober and I've had five 90-day chips and what seems to be blocking me?
0: Right, right. So
1: those are two different angles and we're going to pick the tests that are most appropriate for the questions the person has. So that's the first piece. The second piece is usually a pretty extensive interview and I would interview a person maybe for between one and four hours, talking about all different things that might relate to the questions that they have. Right. right. Um, sometimes the questions will lead into other questions, but we try to stay as focused as we can. And based on the interview, then we'll set up either that time or another time for the client to come in and do testing. And again, I will pick the tests that are most. Appropriate for the questions they have. Some of them will be broad. Some of them might be very narrowly focused. And the person will take the tests. Some of them are like Scantron kind of tests where you fill in the bubble true, false. Some of them might be similar with questions that are asked the person their opinion about their own personality. And they'll say, This happens to me never, not very often pretty often or very often, frequently and answer those kind of questions. What? Other tests are more ambiguous and something like what most people know, the Rorschach test, which is also called the inkblot test. Right. And that's a test where it's not so obvious what the test is actually looking for. And we observe how the person interacts with that kind of unknown we call it a stimulus, where something they don't really understand, how do they interact with that when we ask them to do particular things?
0: And so that, like, like doing like the Rorschach test or the inkblot test, mm-hmm. what you're looking at is more of how they respond to that. And that gives you information about Absolutely. Like, how their brain thinks. What-
1: because how a person interacts in the room with the testing, it's a very structured setting. How they interact in the room with me is probably how they're going to interact in the world. Right. right. When they're dealing with situations that either may be somewhat stressful or unknown and they're not quite sure how to manage it. So we get to look, again, we're curious, and apply what happens here in the room. Combine that with the actual test data once they're all scored and reviewed. And then we have pretty good answers,
0: right? And I think a lot of like when you talk about the ink block test, the Roar shock, a lot of people who I guess don't have experience or training in that kind of go, how can that give us any kind of information that's useful? I mean, I, can you kind of explain that process of how you kind of pull that information out? Because I think a lot of people they look at that and go, that's like hocus pocus,
1: right? Well, all of the tests, most of the tests that we use are scored in a very systematic way so the tests that other people know about like the mmpi which is that 567 true false question test you know that's scored using mathematical algorithms scored on computer although you can do it by hand but it's really tedious right the rorschach is also scored using Very specific mathematical formulas. So we're taking what the person says and then it's coded based on, again, very specific formulas. It's not just like, oh, I think of this or I think that. Otherwise, it wouldn't be valid if we could make it up each time and do it a different way every single time.
0: Right. So this is more than, I think what's really important what you're saying is this is more than just going, okay, you answered this question and this is what I think about it. This is actually based on research and data that's been collected over time. and
1: All of these tests are statistically valid and they've proven over time to have particular kinds of patterns that we can then Compare with the person that we're actually testing. So we're comparing people based on their age and educational levels or other standardized things to other people. And then you can look at how they vary and how they're similar to different kinds of patterns.
0: So then you can start to see these pictures start to emerge from this data.
1: Yes. Yes. So you have the test data, you have the person's behavior how they actually are engaging with me and with the testing. And you have, of course, what they say and what their therapist might say. And you put all of that together and it's a huge fund of information.
0: Right. And you mentioned something to me that was really kind of stuck with me when I was listening to you give your presentation about this. You said one test is is really not enough, that that you look at all of the data from all these tests to get that picture.
1: Absolutely. I think, I mean, this is my opinion only, but I think that using one test is a very, very limited way of seeing a person. It's like driving down a street and stopping in front of one house and saying, okay, all the houses look just like this one. Of course, that's not true. So when we use different kinds of tests, we're basically looking at the person from different angles And usually when I'm doing an evaluation for somebody, we don't even talk about results that don't show up on at least three tests. If the results show up on three different tests, I can be pretty sure they're accurate. But one result is like looking at one house, like, okay, maybe all the other houses are nicer than this, or maybe all the other houses are two-story and this one's one story. And so you can't really compare when you have one piece of information.
0: Right. It's, it sounds like, I mean, really taking the time to make sure this data is really accurate as best as you can, but really taking that really, really seriously so that you're, and that's what I really appreciate. I mean, you really dig in to make sure that they're getting that, that, that high level of care right. uh, that they deserve because this is like such a, doing this kind of testing, I'm Kind of thinking out loud is is such a the person is so vulnerable it's a because they're very, really opening very themselves vulnerable
1: up. process that's absolutely true and that's one of the reasons I like to work more in a collaborative way than in the traditional way because we can make really a team effort and that helps the person to feel much more comfortable in which case they can give much more deeper level information and get much better information up for the results.
0: Right. And protecting them in that environment, I think it's so important because, it, yeah, like I said earlier, it's just incredibly vulnerable, but they get such value out of it.
1: It is very, very revealing. And hopefully, even though not everything that's revealed is necessarily pleasant, hopefully it's very positive because it's very useful.
0: Can you tell me a little bit about when you say oh, some of the information isn't Pleasant, I imagine these tests can really give people information that maybe they're not ready to receive. I don't know if that that can happen
1: absolutely. And so this is where my skill as a psychologist comes in, and also it depends a lot on the person who's coming in to do the testing. If they're in therapy, then I'm probably working collaboratively with the person and their therapist so when I get the information, we look at this is one of the ways I was trained by Dr. Stephen Finn in collaborative therapeutic assessment. We look at the information we get in terms of the results in three levels. Level one is stuff the person already knows about themselves. So we can say, oh, this test showed this and this and this, and the person's most likely to nod their head and say, Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's that's exactly how I am.
0: Right.
1: Then we have level two information, which is taking it beyond what the person knows, but it's just adjacent to that so that it might be new when they hear it, but it can fit more or less within the schema they have and the ideas they have about themselves and the world. Or if it's a little bit further than that, it's not so strongly different from what they already understand that it would be threatening right so they can more comfortably accept level 2 information level 3 information would be something that shows up again on many tests not just one but that might be very powerfully uncomfortable or go against what the person thinks about themselves at this point in time that's the kind of information i would share with their therapist and allow that process to kind of unfold within the context of the therapy, there's no way I would be open to giving people information that's going to be harmful.
0: Right. No, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I, I think all of us have parts of ourselves that we're not comfortable with or we don't like. and
1: Or that we just don't know about. Or we like, don't
0: know about, yeah. It
1: could be that we're testing for issues around relationships and I get repeated results and information that suggests that this is a person who had maybe early childhood trauma or some early sexual trauma of of some kind. It's not going to tell me exactly what happened. If the person doesn't have that as part of their story, I'm not going to suggest that, oh, you must've been abused. Right. It may come out as part of the results, depending on our conversation, that it seems there may have been things that were deeply distressing to you as a child, but I would leave it at that and then give the therapist the additional information that they could then use in the therapy over time.
0: So it can kind of unfold in a, in a safe way, in a safe environment. Organically, yes. Organically, so that they're in a in a place to be able to receive that information and maybe not be as traumatic, maybe difficult, but not traumatic.
1: Yes, exactly. And one of the things that I almost always say to clients coming in is that they're an expert on themselves. So the test might show certain things in, let's just say, multiple tests, but still the person is the final say-so, not the test. Right. Because tests can be wrong. So the person always is the one to have the final... I say authority over the information, and even if the test looks like A, the person says B. Well, they know themselves, so for them, it's going to be B, right? And I would never argue with them about that,
0: right? And that's who they are, and that's their identity, and that's that's how they feel about it, right? Right. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. So, kind of going in another direction, what what would you say are the limits to psych testing? What can't they not do? I guess is the, is the question I'm asking.
1: Well, so psychological testing can't predict the future in terms of, I can't say with 100% certainty, this person will never get sober, or this person will never have a relapse, or this person will never find a person that they truly love and want to be with. Right. I could never say that. Right. Testing couldn't say, what caused something else in the past. So if a person has difficulty with relationships, tests would never be able to say, oh, you have difficulty with relationships because X, Y, and Z happened to you when you were growing up.
0: Right, right, okay.
1: Tests can help us make links and give us connections to things, but they're not going to be able to predict with certainty or be clear with certainty about what caused things. There's certain kind of tests, a certain kind of questions that testing just isn't going to answer. I can't ask, I can't test for the question, why don't I believe in God? Or will I be happy if I get divorced? Or why am I gay? There's no psychological test that Assesses for those kinds of things. So we have to, that's the first part of the process, is making sure that the questions we're asking are questions that can actually be answered with psychological testing.
0: Yeah. And I I like what, you know, at the beginning when you said really defining what the goals, when the person comes in, what the goals are, what they're looking for, and really having that concrete, you know, I thought that was uh, really powerful because it really, there's a purpose. You're not just coming in and we're just going to, explore all this stuff. You, you have a, you have a, you're, you're coming for a reason.
1: Yes. And each person's reasons are very specific to where they are in life and what their particular needs are. So there's all different ways of, let's say, asking questions. Some of them, I'll give you a couple examples. Why did I use when I really wanted to be sober? Why does my temper go from zero to 100 pretty quickly, even if I tend to keep my feelings inside? Right, right. Do I have ADD or antisocial personality? Why do I have such a hard time sitting still? Right. Things like that are some examples of questions that we can answer.
0: When someone comes in, and, and especially like when we're dealing with addiction, how can this test how can this like psychological assessment and testing help them specifically around addiction
1: okay in terms of working with people with addiction a lot of times folks want to know what were some of the reasons behind their self-destructive behavior whether it's related to their childhood or cultural issues family issues. A lot of times people want to look at their way they relate to other people. How come they have such difficulties relating in a quote-unquote normal way or how can they relate without having to take some kind of medicine, meaning drugs or alcohol or something else to help them feel more at ease. How can they learn to connect with their emotions and express them effectively? Those are kinds of questions that people dealing with addiction often ask. And those are perfect questions for collaborative assessment because there's many different tests that can help us look at trauma, that can help us look at relationships, that can help us look at what are some of the underlying seeds of addictive behavior.
0: Right. That's what I was kind of thinking when you were talking about this. It's like a person comes in with addiction. Usually what I I see is most of the time there's that history there that kind of helps set them up. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that history, it's hard to see it all. It's hard to see the pieces. And it, it sounds like getting this psychological assessment can really help a person who's struggling kind of focus. Where do I need help? Like, what do I need to focus my treatment on so I can have like long term recovery? If that makes sense, I mean, that's what it. Right. That's what I see. Uh, really,
1: I think part that of this assessment is a really good way of clarifying and then maybe putting in some kind of reasonable order. What's the first step? Because sometimes it can be really overwhelming, and there's no way. Any of us can do all of the things that we need to do at once. Right. So helping clarify which of these concerns seem to be getting in the way either right now or the most or which of these concerns impacts all of the other concerns. So let's just take example of some of the questions I just gave. Why does my temper go from zero to 100 even if I tend to hold in my feelings? Well, if this is a person that's constantly erupting and either acting it out or acting it in and being self-destructive, that can easily get in the way of comfortable early sobriety. Makes it difficult to have a relationship with a sponsor, for example, if you keep yelling at him or her when they're upset you or withdrawing and clamming up and not talking. So that might be one of the first things to look at. and. Then you get in very practical sense with the therapist, what are some of the tools that will help me understand my anger and have some compassion towards it, not hate myself for it, because that's not helpful. And what are some of the tools that I can start to use to help me have more of a, a dimmer switch on the anger instead of an off and on?
0: Right. It sounds like almost like if you do this kind of psychological assessment and get this kind of level of detail, it, it can really set out a roadmap of what you need to do to pursue the life you want, it, whatever that looks like in recovery. And it can show you all the roadblocks or a lot of them or point them out to you so that in a way it might even, I wonder if it even speeds up the therapeutic process because now you're you're getting right to the to the point quicker, faster.
1: Yes, it does speed up the therapeutic process. It's a very, especially collaborative assessment where you're working as a team. It's a very powerful way for the person to feel seen. One of the men that helped train me in psychological assessment, Dr. Stephen Finn, wrote a book called In Our Client's Shoes. And the goal really is for me to understand what it's like to be that person, what it's like to be them walking around in the world, and to be able to use testing to help me understand that, and then to be able to explain that to the person in a way where they feel truly seen in a way that is, for most people, very unusual, and it may be the first time they've ever felt that understood.
0: Wow that's really when you say that that's really powerful. I mean I think that really kind of sums up this whole what you know what we've just been talking about in you know in this last 30 minutes is that really sums it up you know to be in their shoes and to be able to be heard and seen on such a deep level um may in and of itself even be healing.
1: Well it is. It is. That's why it's called therapeutic assessment is because the process of doing the assessment itself is therapeutic.
0: Well, Tracy, I want to thank you so much for coming on to the Addicted Mind and talking about this and, and sharing your wisdom and your knowledge with everybody. And I would encourage everybody, if this is, if they're struggling with addiction, to look at this as a possibility of, of helping them move move forward. Question, how can people get more information about you or, or find you? Or?
1: Well, my telephone number is 310-664-0454. And my website is drtracyzimanski.com.
0: Great. I will have that all in the show notes as well. So you can just go to the website and get all that information as well. So I'll, I'll put it all there. That'll that'll be easy for everybody. Tracy, once again, thank you so much for accepting my invitation to come on to The Addicted Mind. I was so excited that you were going to be here and have this conversation.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Thanks so much. It's been a pleasure. Once again, thank you for listening to The Addicted Mind podcast. The show notes will be at theaddictedmind.com forward slash 25. One more note, I want to thank everybody who has reached out to me about the Addicted Mind podcast and how it has been helpful. I really appreciate that feedback. Makes me know that people are listening and getting a lot of value out of this endeavor that I'm doing. So if you want to leave a comment, please go to the website. You can do so. You can comment on an episode. I definitely appreciate that. I'd like to get that feedback. Also, if you have any topics, you can also reach out to me on theaddictedmind.com. Any topics that you want to discuss on the addicted mind or want me to talk about, please let me know and I will see if I can get them on the show. So, thanks so much, everybody, and have a wonderful week. Until next time.